Oh, good morning. It's good to be here. It's good to be with you. It's good to see all of you. I see some faces I've seen for many years, and I see some new faces today, and that's always good. We're continuing our series this morning in the Gospel of Luke, looking at the story of Jesus. And today we're going to begin in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. Luke chapter 11 and verse 29. I would entitle this passage, The Things That We Need to Hear. Not the things that we may want to hear, but the things that we need to hear. As we're going to be reminded of this morning, Jesus does not hesitate to make us as human beings feel uncomfortable if it's for our greater good. Jesus will always tell us what we need to hear. He loves you and me just as we are, but he also loves us too much to leave us that way. He always wants what's better for us. And so he tries to stir us out of where we are now and bring us to a better place. And that's what he's going to do in this passage this morning. He's going to cover some very difficult things things that all of us as human beings and even those who, of us who claim to be followers of God, we need to deal with, we need to struggle with. So let's get right to it this morning, beginning in Luke chapter 11, verse 29. You'll notice at this time in Jesus' ministry that there were great crowds following him. In fact, it says there that the crowds were increasing at this time. And yet Jesus turns to this very large crowd and says, this wicked generation looks for a sign. Jesus never read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. (laughs) What you will note then by that statement is that Jesus was never interested in large crowds. He was interested in committed disciples. In fact, it is a reminder to us that large crowds do not necessarily indicate spiritual health or God's blessing. That is something that you and I as part of a growing church physically, numerically, need to be aware of. Just because we are growing physically and numerically doesn't necessarily mean we are a spiritually healthy group or that God is blessing us. It can be one of the indicators, but it's not automatic. Because here's Jesus with this very large crowd And unlike today, instead of not saying something or saying something to make sure he doesn't offend anybody, no. He looks at them and he says, you are part of a wicked generation that is always looking for a sign. 
And the reason why Jesus is saying that is because he's already given more than enough signs. As we saw even Wednesday night through our study of the book of Exodus, signs and miracles do not create faith in people. They can assure us, they can affirm us, but they do not create or strengthen faith. The Israelites who were delivered out of Egypt saw more miracles than any probably group of people in human history, and yet they still did not believe after all that they had seen because they weren't looking at it through the eyes of faith. And so they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. It is not miracles and signs that create faith, according to the Word of God. It is the Word of God. Faith comes by what? Hearing, hearing by the Word of God. So in this passage, Jesus is saying, stop looking for signs and start responding to the Word of God. You have a great opportunity. God has given you His Word Are you responding to it? Again, we are in a section of the Gospel of Luke where that's what Jesus is talking about. Our response to what God is revealing. In verse 28 of Luke 11, he says, Blessed are those who hear the voice of God and respond properly to it. It's all about our response. And we need to be reminded of that today. So that's why Jesus goes on to say, The queen of the south, verse 31, the queen of Sheba, whose story is given in 1 Kings chapter 10, will rise up one day in the judgment and condemn this generation because she came from so far. She put forth so much effort to come and hear the word of God and the wisdom of God through Solomon. See, Jesus is saying to predominantly Jewish people, you realize that this Gentile pagan woman, in comparison to you, has responded in a better way. Because she didn't have all the Old Testament history with me that you've had as your God. She didn't have the law of God in her past. She didn't grow up in a Christian home. She didn't have all the advantages that you Jews have had over the centuries in being God's chosen people. And yet here you are, after all of those advantages and all the word of God and all that light, and you have not responded, and yet here she is, no background with God, no advantages with God, no history with God, and yet when she heard the word of God through Solomon, she raced to Solomon's side to hear more, and she responded to it, and she became a believer in Jehovah. And then he says, the people of Nineveh will also rise up in judgment one day and condemn this generation because when they heard the word of God through Jonah, they repented and were changed forever. And that's why earlier on in verse 30, Jesus says, there is no sign going to be given to this generation 
other than me. Uh, Jonah was the sign through the word that God brought through Jonah, and I am now bringing the word of God. That's the only sign that you will be given because you're not responding to the word of God. You see, Jesus is, in a sense, comparing opportunity with response. He's saying, here you all are. You've had so many opportunities through your life to hear the word of God and respond to it, and you have not. You have not. You have sat on your hands, and you have been hard-hearted, and you have not responded in a proper, fitting way to the moving and revelation of God. And yet here are two examples of Gentiles, the people of Nineveh, the queen of Sheba, not Jews, who came from either a far distance or who had lived a life of sin, and yet when they heard the word of God, they properly responded to it and repented of their sin and turned to the Lord. And Jesus is saying, that's what we're looking for. That's what I'm looking for. I'm looking not for a crowd. I'm looking for a group of people who are willing when they hear God's voice, when they hear God's revelation, when they hear God's word, they respond properly to it. You know, when I think about this whole concept of opportunity versus response, I think especially those of us in America are going to be held more accountable by God than any in this world because we all have had more than enough opportunity throughout our lifetime living in this country to be exposed to the word of God and to all of, of, of that, more so than maybe people in other countries, and yet many of them may put us to shame because the little bit of the word of God that they get they grab a hold of it and they respond to it in a proper and fitting way. We're flooded with the word of God. And yet, how often are we responding based upon our opportunity? And so then Jesus goes, beginning in verse 33 through 36, to talk about the light of God. In a sense, the revelation of God. He says, no one lights a light and then hides it. No, it is put on a lampstand so that anyone who comes into a room can see it. Jesus here isn't teaching the same thing that he teaches in other places about you and I being light. He, in the context, is reminding us, I, Jesus, I am the light of the world. I have brought the light of God into this world in an unprecedented way. I have made the light of God available. No one can claim they have never received the light of God. The problem is not with the light, it's with our sight. See, that's why even... No human being will ever be able to get to eternity 
and say to God, God, I didn't have enough light from you to be able to respond to you properly. No human being, no matter where they were born, where they grew up in this world or anything, can ever say to God, God, you didn't give me enough light for two reasons. One, the Bible teaches us that God gives every human being who enters this world an internal light. In other words, it doesn't matter what, again, where you were born, when you were born, and all of that, God gives every human being who's born an internal light, an internal revelation of himself to them. What do they do with it? How do they respond to that internal light? And then Paul and others reminds us that every human being is exposed to the creation of God and that the heavens declare the glory of God. And the firmament shows forth his handiwork. All of creation literally screams at human beings, there is a God, and he has brought this forth, you see. So it's not a question of we didn't have enough light, because then if a human being responds to that internal light and that light that God has given his creation, then God will make sure that other light is brought to that person in order to bring them enough light to bring about a relationship. Again, the question is never about God not bringing enough light. It's always about sight. So that's why Jesus says to this wicked generation who's looking for a sign, he says in verse 34, the, the eye is the lamp of the body. You and I sort of understand that because we've heard the term, the eye is what? The window of the soul. And that's true. That's what Jesus is saying. That the eye is the window into our soul. And just like our physical eye, there is no such thing as this automatic inner light within us. Our eye cannot create light. Our eye can only receive light and reflect it. That's what the eye does. And the same thing is true with our spiritual eye or our spiritual vision. There is no automatic inner light other than that light that God places within us when we come into this world. But beyond that, there's no greater light than that. All the light that we are then ever given in this world, we have to put ourselves in a place where we receive it and then ultimately reflect it. And that's why Jesus goes on to say in this passage that we have to be careful about making sure that we are putting ourselves in a place where we are immersed in the light of God, where we are continually receiving the light of God so that we can have spiritual health and be illuminated to what God has for us, who he is, what his plans and purpose are. All that has to come as you and I receive light. If, if we're not receiving his light 
or our eye is so unhealthy or clouded that we're not, you know, taking in all the light that is around us, then we will lack light in our life. We will lack illumination. We won't see the things that God wants us to see, and we won't see them in the way God wants us to see them. We won't have his perspective on things without receiving his light because we don't get this light automatically. We have to put ourselves in places, in environments, where we are receiving his light. Now he says, if you have a clear eye, and you're able to see and receive God's light, then the light bulbs will come on, and you'll begin to see things in his word and see things around you from his perspective, and you'll have all of this illumination and all of this light, and you will be spiritually healthy. But Jesus also says, but if your eye is diseased, if your eye is unhealthy, then you can see all these miracles and all these signs and they're not going to make a bit of difference to you. You'll just go on with your life like normal. It will never change you. It will never transform you because it all has to do with your eye and the health of your eye. So that's why Jesus here is also saying you and I have to be careful what we take into our soul. Because if we're taking in things to our soul, that's going to affect our spiritual eyes or our spiritual vision. And therefore, we could be in a place where we could be surrounded by God and the moving of God and the working of God and the things of God, but it doesn't make an impact. And we're not able to respond in a proper way because of the unhealthiness of our eye or of our soul. When we take in good things to our soul and when we continually receive the light of God, then we put ourselves in a much more advantageous place. We're able to see things that we could not see. And I think all of us understand that to a point, no matter where we are, because we've all been in a place in our life, whether we're talking about spiritual things or not, where we could say, you know, the light bulb came on. I'm seeing something I never saw before. I never saw it that way before. Or I'm seeing something that I've looked at before, but now I'm seeing it in a different way. Or I'm seeing more than what I ever saw before. We understand that concept. And that's what Jesus is teaching here. But he's talking to a wicked generation that has yet to, to respond to his word and whose eyes are very unhealthy, whose souls have been fed with bad things their whole life rather than putting themselves in an environment where their soul is taking in good things. That's why, too, you and I, we have to be careful even today of the things that we hear and the things we expose ourselves to by our hearing and by our sight and by our senses because we can take in a lot of junk into our soul and when we do that, that will affect our spiritual eyesight. And the lamp then of our body will be dysfunctional and it will not operate like it should. And therefore, we can even be in a place where God's light is shining, but nothing is taking place in our life, you see. That's why Jesus goes on in verse 35 and says something very important. 
he says, see to it that the light in you is not darkness. Literally in the Greek, see to it that the light you think you possess isn't really darkness. Whoa. And think about that for a moment. Let's apply that for a moment. How many people just here in this community, they think they're good, just like the Jews did that he was talking to. They think they're God's people. They think they've got the truth. They think one day they're going to heaven. They think one day they're all, you know, fine and dandy. No, no. The light they think they have is really darkness. Wow. Doesn't that remind you of what Jesus says at the end of Matthew chapter 7? He says, there will be many, not few, many who come up to me in the day of judgment and say, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not cast out demons in your name? Did we not do many miracles in your name? And you know what Jesus says? Depart from me. I never knew you. I never had a relationship with you. It was all religion. The, the light you thought you possessed was really darkness. What an indictment Jesus is giving. You know why? Because he loves them enough to tell them the hard things. Because he doesn't want them to stay in the dark any more than he wants us to stay in the dark. We need to make sure that we are more like the queen of Sheba and the Ninevites who are taking the opportunities we have to hear God's word and God's revelation and always responding properly to it. We need to make sure that we are placing ourselves throughout our life in the light of God, that we are immersing ourselves in his light, that we are walking in the light, that we are bathing ourselves in the light, that we are careful about what we take into our soul so that the eye of our body, that lamp, is always clear, not only to be able to receive God's light, but to be able to reflect God's light and be light to, to others. And then we come down to verse 37, where just as Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee invites Jesus over for a meal. And like always, Jesus accepts the invitation of this Pharisee. Jesus will always accept our invitations. He won't force himself upon us, but if we invite him in, Jesus will always come over because he wants to bring his light and his love into our life because he knows there's no better life than our life with him, a life that is built on his love as we sung about and his light. But then notice what it says in verse 38. The Pharisee is amazed, astonished that Jesus didn't wash his hands before the meal. Now listen, Jesus isn't being unhygienic here. This has nothing to do with cleanliness. This is talking about a ceremonial ritual cleansing that the Pharisees added as a way to again 
build up their external righteousness before others. I'm going to go through this, you know, great ritual of, of washing my hands in this way before my meal to show people how spiritual I am, right? And the Pharisee was like, this man's supposed to be a holy man. He's supposed to be a spiritual man. He's not washing his hands. And you'll note, Jesus, being the Lord, knew what this man was thinking. So Jesus says, here's the problem, Pharisee. You Pharisees like to clean the outside of the cup and plate, but you leave the inside untouched. And the inside is full of greed and wickedness. What a, what a dynamic picture Jesus is painting here for all of us. And it's a pretty powerful picture, isn't it? I mean, think about it. That would be like you and I have cups at our house. And we make sure that we meticulously and, and obsessively wash the outside of our cup, but we never wash the inside. Would you want to drink out of that after a while? Would you want to serve that to anybody else? You never wash the inside. All the inside gets all that yucky buildup over time, but you make sure the outside is clean. Jesus says, that's the problem with you Pharisees. The spiritual leaders of Israel. You are obsessed about this external righteousness that you want to portray to others, but in the process, you're leaving your heart neglected. You're not worried about your heart at all. In fact, in verse 42, Jesus says, you all are obsessed with the minutia of tithing this and that, but you leave the more important things like justice and love for God, you neglect those. You've got your focus in the wrong place. In fact, Jesus begins to give a series of woes here that literally lasts for the rest of the chapter. What is a woe? A woe is a cry for God's judgment. And here Jesus is even saying to them, they're spiritual leaders of Israel. You're foolish. You know what it means to be foolish? Again, Jesus didn't read the book How to Win Friends and Influence People. It means you are blind to the ways of God and to the things of God. Your focus is on the wrong things. And that's what Jesus is trying to get these folks to see. You are focused on all the right things. Amid your concern for this external righteousness to make sure that you look good, to everybody else around you, you're neglecting the most important thing, the inner man, the heart. If you would give your heart to God and surrender your heart to God, then the outside would take care of itself. External righteousness would be superfluous if the internal was already clean before God. But their focus is all wrong. They're always worried about how they appear to others and how they appear to people. And, and they're always about the external things, the, the, the clothes and the robes that they wear and, and, and the books, you know, like using today, you know, they would be the one to make sure they carried the biggest Bible to church. 
you know, the Bible that weighed 100 pounds because that would mean, you know, we're more spiritual because we're carrying around the big Bible. And, 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 and please, I'm, I'm not criticizing people that wear Christian jewelry or Christian shirts and all of that. That's fine. Just make sure that that's not what it's all about because anyone can wear a cross. Anyone can wear a Christian T-shirt. Anyone can wear anything externally. That's not ultimately what matters before God is our heart. And if God has our heart, then the rest will take care of itself. But here's the rub. Here's why we struggle to give our hearts totally to God. Because if we've lived any length of time on this earth, throughout our life, we've given our hearts to other people. And our hearts been burned. Our hearts been hurt. We don't like being vulnerable, giving our heart out. Because we can remember the pain that we've experienced when we put our heart out there. So unfortunately, then when we come to our relationship to God, we view God and how he's going to handle our heart the same way we view other human beings. I can't give God my whole heart. I can't trust him. Because if I give him my heart, I'm going to experience the same thing I do when I gave my heart to other human beings. I'm going to get hurt. I'm going to get burned. I'm going to regret giving my heart to him. And Jesus is saying to all of us, it's never going to be that way with God. And you and I will never experience all that God has for us in this life and even throughout eternity if we don't get to a place where we're willing to trust God enough to give him our heart, even if we give no other human being our heart ever completely at least give God your heart completely to him because that's the only way you and I will ever experience wholeness and healing for our heart you see some of us our heart needs to be healed and the only one that can do that's God some of us we we have we have a heart that needs to be made whole and the only one that can do that is God so when we withhold our heart completely from God, we're withholding it from the one person in this universe who can take care of our heart better than anyone can. Who can bring wholeness and healing to our heart. And that's what I want to encourage all of us to do. Listen, again, these aren't things we like to hear. <laughs> these are things we need to hear. These aren't things that make us comfortable. But as I said at the very beginning, Jesus doesn't hesitate to make us uncomfortable when it's for our greater good. And Jesus is always about the greater good in all of our lives. He wants us to experience his best. And the only way we can do that is to stop being religious and start establishing a relationship. You see, religion, and this is why God hates religion, just as he did in his own day. Religion is all about the external and the superficial. And that's what the Pharisees were at. That's where many of the Jews were at. It was always about external things, superficial things. And that's where we are today, even in our American Christianity, for the most part. It's all about the external. It's all about the superficial. 
I don't want to deal with God on such a deep level. I don't want to be part of a church like this that deals with this kind of stuff. No, I want to go to church and be entertained. I want to go to church and always feel good when I leave. I don't want to ever be made to feel uncomfortable because I don't want to ever have to deal with the things that I really need to deal with in order to get to a better life. But sometimes that's what we have to do. Sometimes we have to deal with the uncomfortable things and the things we don't like to in order to experience the best life that God has for us. And that's where Jesus is at with this group of people today. That great crowd that he called a wicked generation who's always looking for a sign. We need to be careful. Even as Christians, that we're not focused more on the external superficial things of life than we are the internal and eternal things of life. It always comes back to our heart. I want to go back up to verse 31 and 32 for a moment. In this passage where Jesus was talking about the Queen of Sheba and the Ninevites, rising up in judgment and condemning this generation. He ends both of those verses with this phrase. Because something greater than Solomon is here and something greater than Jonah is here. You know, he was referring to himself. We could say someone greater than even Solomon is standing before you. Someone greater than Jonah, the prophet, is right here in your midst. And you know, we can say the same thing today. He's here. Jesus' presence is here in this place today. The greatest person in the universe is present front and center, right here in our midst. Are we going to respond to the one who is here today? Are we going to give more of our heart to God today, trusting him? I'll just say it. As I was preparing for this message today, God assured me there will be people who are watching this today or at some time in the future who are, who are here at the Oasis today physically who need me to come and heal their heart. But the reason you haven't experienced healing yet in your heart is because you've always withheld your heart totally from God. And God understands. I know your heart's been broken by other people. I know you've experienced pain from other human beings. But I'm not them. I'm your creator. I'm your savior. I'm the one who loves you no matter what. And your heart is always going to be safe with me. Someone greater is here today. His name is Jesus. And there's no one who will ever love you more than him. And he's saying to us hard things that we need to wrestle with. 
as human beings in order to experience the best life that he has for us. One other thing that's sort of sobering. In that passage in verse 31 and 32 where Jesus is talking about their lack of response compared to the opportunity of the queen of the south and the Ninevites, it is a reminder to us that the way we respond to God not only has earthly consequences, it has eternal consequences. See, Jesus is reminding us there is a day of judgment coming. And even for us as Christians, we have to be reminded of, oh, we're never going to be judged for our sin. That was judged on the cross of Christ once and for all. But the Bible does say that even as Christians, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ to receive from him the things that we have done with the opportunities that he has given us. We are not judged for our sin, but we are judged based upon our response to all of the opportunities that we are given in this life and then rewarded based upon that response. Let's not let this opportunity go by. Today is the day that God is speaking to us. He's revealing himself to us. And he's saying to all of us, someone greater than Solomon and Jonah is in your midst. Seize the opportunity. Respond to me today and give me your heart. Give me your heart. I'm going to ask Nicole and the worship team to come. And while they're coming and getting settled up here, I'm going to ask you all to stand with me. We're just in this season where I just feel like God's doing business. And I don't want to pass up that opportunity today. So I'm going to be down front here. Some of you want to come and you want me as your pastor to pray with you, to pray for you. We'll have other people available too to be praying with people for, but this is a time not just to worship the Lord as we close our service, but to do business with God and respond to him. Respond to him in a proper and fitting way. Maybe you just need to do business with God right where you are. That's good. You just do whatever the Lord is leading you to do. Because remember, someone greater than all of us is here in our midst. Let's seize the opportunity we have to respond to him today.